What are you doing? I'm, I'm emptying the dishwasher. No. <laughs> well, <laughs> we can talk about dishwashers if you'd like. Did, did you I get it fixed, Dave? Last time we spoke, did, you had a broken dishwasher. I, yeah, I fixed it. Cool. How did you fix it? I, I, uh, I, I, I did a prognosis on what I thought the problem was, my own diagnostics, mm. using uh, my senses, like, it's not getting very hot, <laughs> so probably the heater's gone. And then I uh, ordered a new heater unit, and when it arrived, I spent ages looking at videos on YouTube about how to how do you put this thing in it? And then I and then I put it in and uh, turned it on and it worked. And, can you come you know, to Krakow and diagnose our dishwasher? Easily. I can probably do it remotely, you know. <laughs> okay, so here are the symptoms. Every time we every time we turn it on, it flips the fuse. It does what? It blows the circuit. Not blows the circuit, it, it trips the circuit. Alright, so you got an earth problem. Earth yeah. problem. <laughs> Planet Planet is me, how so definitely has people. an earth problem. I'd, I'd start there. It's, it's, uh, I'm going to stop loading this dishwasher. Yeah, maybe that's all it is. Whatever that is. Um, it's tripping. So your mains is probably happening before anything's produced in voltage. I don't know why I got this background. Let me just have a look at that. Um, where am I? It seems like <laughs> Um, my I, hair doesn't lend itself well to background, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, by the way, I, I, I cannot load my dishwasher now, thank you, Michal, without <laughs> asking myself, did I start at the front or the back? Yeah, and trying to figure out what the what is the most efficient process for loading. You, you know, it ruined, I, ruined the whole experience for me. <laughs> I, I think the meaning of life for different people varies, but but I, I feel like I've achieved mine <laughs> through you yeah. you've got us all thinking about that process can we start and, and a dishwasher podcast it's just me and the dishwasher <laughs> and i'll just beep and and ground and make some bubbles and <laughs> sometimes we'll have it on the eco mode sometimes on the faster yeah. one yeah and i i know and i feel like if i use it on eco mode all the time it's like driving a car just yeah. around the corner all the time. You know, sometimes you've got to give it a long run. Right, right, right. And so occasionally I'll set mine to the long run. And I think, I don't know what, I don't know, I don't think dishwashers and cars are in any way the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm doing, I'm applying what I know about cars to my dishwasher. And it's just ridiculous. I'm like, oh, so, oh it's late. It's, it's not, we're going to bed. So it's like, do you know what? I'll put it on a, lo on a long overnight. Let it run for three and a half hours and cook that, cook everything in it and do, do a whole cycle. And then tomorrow I'll do a 30 minute quick run in the morning when I'm doing something else. So yeah, yeah, you do need a dishwasher podcast. These, these are important these decisions. Are silent machines that are just ignored and mm. it's not right. No, 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 no. <laughs> Accidental Podcast. Hello. Welcome, everybody, to Yolk's Accidental Podcast. Today, we have a special guest. And I know I often say we have a special guest, but today it's, it's really true because we have somebody who's had um, uh, a lot to say uh, or, or a big impact on uh, es es essentially the the beginning of Yoke and, and what's happening at Yoke right now. Um, it's our very special guest, David Slully. 
Hi. Thank you. Thank you. Michal, Max, it's great hey. to be on your podcast. It's great to have you here at last. We tr we've been yeah. trying for a few weeks. Yeah. And today... What do you want me to do? Apologise. Yeah, no, I'm just <laughs> you saying... Wanna, you want to reintroduce me to, and make me apologise. Today, today, everything just aligned and that was it. And, yeah. Uh, and, yeah. and it was perfect. It's Is it David Soli? Am I pronouncing that? Slolly. Slolly? Slolly, yeah, like lolly. Like lolly? I'm going to go and buy a lolly. Slolly. Slolly, yeah. Slolly. Slolly. Slolly? Slolly. Slolly. It sounds like slowly. Yeah. But it's it slowly. The reason, the, the, so the slowly family, uh, it had an E in it. My name originally, my name, the, my surname had an E in it. And then a family cast one of the children out. Yeah, because they were the black sheep of the family. Sure. And that member removed the E from their name and said, I'm no longer part of you. I'm now a slolly, not a slowly. It's from uh, Devon. The name comes from Devon. And that slolly moved to the Caribbean, went to Jamaica. Mm. And, uh, and that's where my father originates from. So we are, um, I, I consider myself a slolly. And I'm going to to the part of Devon where the slowlies are from mm. so I can spit on their graves. <laughs> See where my family's history So you're basically from. saying that you're the black sheep of, of the family? I am. A descendant of, of a black yeah. sheep? Yes, of course. Okay. That would make sense, right? I remember that. Well, you know, when you grow up with a name like Slolly, which is often pronounced slowly, yeah. You know, at school, right? Yeah. If you're not the fastest kid, you are getting it every day. Yeah. Now, I was never the fastest kid, uh -huh. but I knew I couldn't be the slowest sure. because that's just death. Yeah. You may as well just go and find the biggest bully and say, start punching me and take mm. my dinner money now. Mm. <laughs> it's not a hold up. So, <laughs> so I, had to, I, I had to, you know, everything I do has to be done as a with, with speed. <laughs> In terms of how yoke started, you, you helped me more with my last kind of uh, cycling brand, Podia. We spent a few days, um, I came to visit you in Bristol and we spent a few days kind of brainstorming everything and you taught me a lot about branding and, you know, how to communicate, things like that. Uh, and obviously when, uh, when I started thinking about yoke, um, this kind of co-working flexible workspace. Obviously, your number was the first one I dialed to kind of, you know, bang some ideas against the wall. And uh, and I, I didn't even realise at the time um, actually kind of how much you had kind of skin in the game of, that, of, of, of workspace. I know you were consulting at the time with a few companies about about workspace environments and things like that. So it was actually an incredibly interesting conversation, which, uh, you know, um, thank you, Max. And it's lovely to hear that I played some small part in it. Um, obviously, all, all the hard work has been done by yourself and me. So my my history is um, typically quite uh, knotted and jotted and and, uh, and and mixed. So I started life with an accidental business, which did reasonably well and back then uh there weren't really young entrepreneurs there weren't people 15 starting their business you know i was investigated 
by the inland revenue pretty quickly on the suspicion that I was hiding the business on behalf of my parents because I couldn't pay tax. I was too young to pay tax. I was 15. Um, and that business is it grew and I sold it and not for huge, not for like way people sell businesses now, but it was enough for me to go traveling and I could travel um, across, you know, the Sahara desert and see the Americas and go to all these places. And what I realized when I was traveling is that what I really loved was hearing these stories, people telling me these stories of, of their lives and how they did things and how they achieved things. And I realized I really wanted to learn how to find and tell other people's stories, which took me down the road of journalism. I mean, I was, as naive as could be, right? I phoned the BBC and said, what do I have to do to become a journalist? And they told me there's these courses running in West London, which is where I lived. And they said, they're looking for people that wouldn't normally become a journalist. You know, they have a different background. I said, well, I started my own company and I went traveling. I went, well, so people like you. (laughs) And they trained me for two years to become a journalist. And I was immediately fired off the back of that on my first day as a journalist. Um, If you search David Slolly TED Talk, that will get you to that story. Yeah, so I won't run that, you know, but that. So I was immediately fired. uh, um, But the story of me being fired got me hired almost immediately as well. And I began to work for independent production companies. I loved that. I did that for a few years, doing making radio programs, went on to make tv programs and then i got introduced to some people that worked in advertising they said well you know you make a one-hour radio program or tv show and you get x amount what if i told you could earn exactly the same making a 30 second commercial and that appealed to me my greed and um and of course there's always the other side of the appeal to greed which is the reality that I didn't actually like working in advertising. I didn't, I didn't like a lot of the people, and and I wasn't. I didn't. I didn't consider myself great. I liked. I was strategic. I liked coming up with strategic ideas, and so that took me down the path of marketing, B two B business marketing in particular, and that I I really did love, and I had the pleasure of working with brands such as Google and Microsoft and IBM and 3M and all these wonderful companies helping them figure out what a strategic approach and what is the narrative, what is the story? That journalism always came back. What's the story we're trying to tell here and how do we tell it? And that um, got me to a point where I realised, hey, you know, um, I don't have to do this for other companies. I could go out or back on my own again. And uh, I went full circle and and here I am. Now I have my own uh, strategic marketing agency with my business partner Harvey Steed and we help um, technology brands mainly find and tell their stories and what's the strategy that goes with uh, that messaging what they're trying to do what they're trying to achieve how they're going to put uh, you know how they're going to make change and so that's me in a, a nutshell and I'm very um, blessed that uh, you know we've made it so far through the the pandemic and um, you started by saying, you know, I, I, I helped you with some of that journey. It helps me as well, Max. You know, I'm out talking to people, listening to people informs my next decisions. So, um, you know, I, I'm always grateful to have those conversations with, with um, business leaders like yourselves because they help, as I say, inform me as, as I move forward. It's all about inputs, right? Good data in, good stuff comes out.
Mm. And that good data comes from everywhere. David, you could also mention that you've written a couple of books. You, I could mention that. I could mention I've written a couple of books. Books are really uh, uh, a case of me ensuring I've summarised my thinking in such a way that it can be shared. Mm. So the because first book was Why You Need a Business Story and How to Create It. I'd been on the road. I'd been explaining to a lot of organisations. I'd worked with a lot of organisations in helping them get their narrative right. And I'm, I'm also one of these people, I think Mihao and I share this commonality that I like processes that are hacked and simplified to the point where it's so obvious and so clean and so perfect. And so when it came to helping organizations tell their stories, there was a lot of content out there already helping organizations do that. But they needed 280, 300 pages to get through that. Mm. I needed to boil that down into 25 pages. I needed simplicity. There's a great book, I think it's um, William Young wrote it many years ago, a technique for creating ideas. You, you recommended yeah. that I read that, actually, when we were doing Podia. I've still got it. Oh, uh, right. Actually, yeah. yeah. And, and actually, it's a really good book. Yeah. I've just remembered about that book. Yeah. complexity and mm. brings it all the way down into there are only five steps mm. to creating an idea. And when you go to someone and say, there's only five steps for coming up with the, the best idea in the world, they're like, oh, surely it's got to be more complex than that. And then you say, well, you know, here's the five steps. And you walk them through it, and I'll see if I can recall them. The first one is gather up as much information as you can. The reason that's important is goes back to what we were saying right at the beginning, right? It's like talking to lots of people, getting good data, understanding the challenges, getting all that information. The second step of coming up with a great idea, that creative process, is to get the first ideas, those knee-jerk ideas, out of the way. They're not the answer, yeah? That's not the real solution because you need to move to the third step which is to simply forget about it when you forget about that your subconscious will continue working to try and figure out what the solution is that's what makes our brains so great is that it can take all this disparate information all these different inputs and fathom out uh, uh, what the solution should be <clears throat> and the fourth step is to be ready for the idea to come to you at the most unlikely moment. How many times have you been in a conversation with someone, they said, I had a great idea, and I've forgotten what it was. Mm. So that being ready for it means you've got a way of recognising the idea is coming in and writing it down in some form. Which yeah? is why I remember at the time you were telling me you always have a small notebook yeah. in your pocket. Yeah. Yeah. For those I, that can't I, see, I'm holding a small notebook, which is next to me at the moment. It looks like a lovely moleskin as well. So it's about that. It's about capturing it and not just writing down. When ideas come to us, they like sparks. And you can't, you need to write down as much of that idea as possible. Because when you go back to it the following day, the spark is not there. The light has gone out. So you need all the information. So the fourth stage is to capture the information. The fifth step is to then to polish it so it's fit for purpose. Those raw notes aren't the idea they need polishing mm. so you can be presented and that is the five steps to coming up with the idea that process and i love that idea of writing a book is to encapsulate all the thinking and bring it into a simple process so the first one is why you need a business idea and how to create it then there was um mashup 
you know, taking all your multiple skills and bringing them in for single use and and Zoom. Um, why uh, the 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 idea of you know coming up with a business idea and bringing that business to fruition as fast as possible. You know, I was on the I was working for a, a marketing company. We we're speaking to so many startups, so many organisations, and they would all have the similar thing. Oh well, I've been I've had this idea for a business. I've been working on the business plan for three years now. What? Mm. What? You know, if you're if you're not going to mortgage your house and put everything on the line, why is it taking three years mm. to realise it? And it's because then I began to understand that there's the fear of not just the fear of failure, there's fear of success. There's all kinds of different reasons why people aren't bringing their businesses to fruition. So um, I was writing with a guy called Ian Sanders at the time. Ian Sanders and I wrote Zoom, the faster way to make your business idea happen. And it was just all of the thinking I'd had and, and Ian had had to sort of bring it down into the most simple process that would enable people to move forward. So that's sort of book writing for me is all about articulating ideas in a way that some anyone can pick up and use. I think the book, your book, Mashup, was uh, one which really struck a struck a chord with me because it was around the same time that I was starting Podia, <clears throat> and it's very much about. It was like kind of, it was almost like you were writing about me, David. But it was very <laughs> much like you know I had had so many. Sc- kind of these little skills and these little things that I picked up from so many different places if whether that was the photography or the or the video filmmaking or you know all these little things which you know it was like finally I felt like there was something which was coming together which utilized all those different things and and that speaks for a lot of us you know there's very much it would get it was it was me I started a business when I was 15 and I had a shop at 16 and what i've learned from running a shop is comes you know comes through today in when i'm applying thinking to marketing because you know you are dealing with people how do we remove the friction on their journey their buyer journey mm-hmm. and so all of these things we learn in our life and that book was all about how you bring them together and and recognize the value they're adding to what you're doing today and what you'll be doing tomorrow I am going to edit this. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry about the pauses. <laughs> I love the pauses. You know, just leave them in. Say, just stop talking. Yeah, and that's it. I, I totally agree with you, David. No, I'm. I'm just really, really enjoying listening to you talk, and uh, I, I think <laughs> I'm quite because of the fact I'm just sort of processing and obviously trying to um connect what you're saying to to my own thinking and and to my own past experiences and the way that I've expressed things to myself and to others in the past and uh so yeah I guess I'm gathering data in, in your words or something along that line and uh trying to process it just to to sort of clarify it for myself but um yeah I'm really enjoying this conversation <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Well, yeah. you mentioned at the beginning you to talk about beginnings. That's what we were originally going to speak about. Yeah. yeah. When Yoke started, there was a beginning. Mm. And um, what what I love about beginnings, right, is it's there's there's a number of factors. There's obviously the risk and the fear and the excuses we can make for why we don't begin things. There's also an unusual amount of energy when you begin something mm. that goes into it. 
and there is, and for, for some people, they're going to, you know, shout me down. And that's fine. I understand that when I say this next thing, but this is just me. And um, the, it's almost like the universe comes together and gives you a little break at the beginning. It connects you with the right person. Mm. It makes something, ha- just some serendipity, some things happen and, and it all kicks off. I don't know if that, that happened to you. I hear that story so many times. I think, you know, it, it had me and Michal not, uh, had Michal myself not um, connected on, on the yoke. I think, yeah, it would have been a completely different proposition. Um, interestingly enough, <laughs> you said to me the other day that you didn't think I liked you when we first met. <laughs> he said this, we were walking down the street and he said, oh, you know, because I didn't think you liked me. <laughs> I- Michal. Max told me he didn't like you. <laughs> see, see, see. There was reason behind it. Um, no, but but when I say things like that to to somebody who I see every day, practically, <laughs> it it obviously means that uh, I've grown comfortable enough, and, and I know our relationship can take me saying something that that's that's so, um, yeah, so. Devices, so I, I, divisive, I, think, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just think May, Mayhouse blunt and honest. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it, you're it, not it, very likable, Max. <laughs> I, I, I can fully understand that. <laughs> no, I think um, it was it was quite serendipitous the way way it came together. You yeah. know, literally, I I had a small kind of I call it the beta office around the corner. Like we had this small office for Podia. Uh, Michal at the time was living down in Cheshire a couple of hours away mm. and I think I you know I was trying to rack your brains about Podia and, and like you had some really good input on that but it was the kind of like kind of things were kind of activity was ramping down uh, and then the opportunity came to start Yoke and I think I was mid midway through constructing furniture or something when when Michal was like oh I'm in town um, can I pop by the office thinking the old one. I said, hey, why don't you come to this address and come and see what I'm working mm. on? And uh, and actually, you know, that first day, it was um, the guy came to... I, w- I was trying to find someone who could take care of our the marketing and Facebook guy. stuff because, yeah. you know, I, I hate it. Uh, I just want someone to take it off my hands and just, you know, just do, take all the content we have and make something nice. Uh, and he was there, like, talking to me about making a video. <laughs> and you weren't feeling <laughs> And I was like... You are really pitching this to the wrong person because, you know, <laughs> I spent 18 years working in television in London. I'm not going to. And he was talking about, I've got this great cameraman and we can do this video like camera at you. And I remember the sample that he showed us. And oh, and then he started making us watch samples and I was, I, I didn't know how to get rid of him. So guys. unimpressed. Yeah. I think I like made up a story and left me out talking to him. Mm. But what ha- had happened, like during the whole process, I mean. Clean this up. <laughs> I'd spent about 10 minutes like explaining to him what Yoke was about and what I was trying to build and this is what my thoughts were. And I think you were listening to that. And the minute the guy left, Michal started like kind of throwing ideas back at me and that's that's basically how it, how it started, right? Yeah, but also for me, I was in a unique uh, sort of moment where mm, I had left a company where I really liked the people, but I no longer saw myself... Uh, filling the role that I had filled at that company, that, that position. And, and for me, it was, it was really odd that I would leave uh, a job that was very stable, that was relatively high paying. Uh, I would leave these good people. Uh, and I was curious, what about 
my that specific role? What about that workspace um, was strong enough to sort of push me out of that that position, out of that job, out of that role? And it got me super uh, curious about um, workspaces, what motivates people. It got me to, to think about potential and, and trying to sort of uh, get maximize your own potential and, and perhaps how I could help others uh, help them uh, get the potential and, uh, that's within them uh, out into the world so, so that they could do something good with it so that's not bottled in. And uh, yeah, and, and I honestly, I, I saw what you were doing at Yolk or, or what you were thinking about doing at Yolk as sort of like this Petri dish for me to, to be able to observe people uh, from various lines of work and uh and i think i said something like or at least <laughs> once again in, in head. my head <laughs> in my head the conversation i had with you was <laughs> uh, sort of like let me stick around and uh, i'll try to help out as, as uh, and let's just see where this goes yeah it was like that it was very yeah. organic yeah and, and then it just became to point part where you know it just started making sense in a yeah. sense yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oddly enough, <laughs> what's the USB? What you know? I'm I'm coming to Poland and I'm I'm going to spend a few days there. Why? What's what's the uh, what's the attraction of yoga? You talked about the, you you connect people, but how do you how do you articulate the value of of yoga to someone like me? So an interesting you know way to explain this as well is to say that we didn't have like when we started it. Mm. It was, or I had in my head, it, it was this creative space for, for creative people. Uh, and I, I was so wrong. <laughs> but we quickly, I think our, our first member who, you know, Tom, who's also on the podcast, uh, one of our first members, uh, he's he does a lot of marketing stuff. And I remember we sat down with him and uh, and he said, who's your, like, who's your target member? Who's your, like, what's your demographic? And it was like, uh, don't don't know, creative people. He's like, come on, it's international people. It's foreigners in Krakow. Yeah, you know, your your all your communication is in English. Look at me, I'm here because mm. you know because you you guys are here. Uh, and and that was almost like that kind of eureka moment where it was like, aha, yeah. What and from from that moment we had this like sole mission that we we're trying trying to create this kind of. You say like an Eden or an utopia. Or I, I say oasis. An oasis. There we go. Close. <laughs> I was close. An oasis for foreigners in Krakow. So, yeah. you know, and the lockdown only helped kind of amplify this idea that uh, it, was, it wasn't it was about making desks and having fast internet and, and seats where people sit on. It was about the connections that people make within the space. Yeah. The desks are speeds. That's hygiene. That's just a given. That's mm. going to be in there. Yeah. It's, it's about that value add, is it? It's what, what that... What's the other bit? Because equally, you could make it a place of just crazed debauchery, and that would attract people to come and work there. And equally, it could be a super quiet place with library books and you know, no, no whisperings forbidden. You can do all, and I think that this is where it's going now, isn't it? With the with these hubs, mm. is it's no not enough just to say there's a desk. Mm. So, yeah. And I think, and it's worked well for us because, you know, um, we are in this unique position about um, who we are and why we do it. Uh, And we uh, we just seem to keep kept attracting the right people to form this kind of core unit of the community, which 
as as you say, is like once it starts picking up momentum, it just seems to kind of grow and grow and pick up more people. And those new people coming see that there's such a great kind of community of people who, you know, hang out in our community space, like we call it the clubhouse. It's like this cafe style space. It's very social. People see that there's such a great social element to, to it, and that's what uh, brings more people in. Yeah, and and it just creates this ecosystem, which which goes throughout the few spaces that we have and uh, it, it just sort of becomes contagious and I think when when new people come in within the first day the first few days that they're here they they quickly recognize that this is a place where um, in a sense that they're open to or they're encouraged to to speak with others that um, other people are interested in them mm. that uh, we do want them to share what they're doing what they're into and um What's a really interesting key indicator is um, there's a Facebook group called Crack Out Expats. Uh, and every now and again, you, someone will post uh, in there saying, uh, looking for a co-working space. And it happened today. I don't know if you saw it. Nope. Yeah, yet. it happened today. Uh, I'm looking for a co-working space. Blah, 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 blah. And literally every comment underneath, as at the moment it was posted an hour ago, there were six comments. People, Everyone it, it's yolk. like it gets spammed by <laughs> it was like just 100 like people just saying yoke 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 mentioning yolk. us yeah yeah so that kind of tells me that we're doing something right in that in that clearly yeah i mean plus plus we just you know uh, what i find most gratifying about about this work this this role that i'm fortunate enough to be in is uh seeing sort of the the fruits of these relationships uh and these collaborations th that that occur at yoke and uh and it's and it's not just you know one sort of fruit or one blossom but then there's another one that's sort of connected to that one and it just becomes these layers and layers um of yeah. uh of uh you know a word that we like to use here is serendipity and it's pretty cool that you used it yourself earlier and um, yeah, and and just these natural organic collaborations. That and if you're right, because if we roll back any of our successes in life, we can find the serendipity in there somewhere. Sure, right? sure. It's always there. Mm. So what's ha what's happening in your world at the moment, David? What's happening in my world? Well, we've all been in this, and uh, not we all. I've been in this strange semi limbo for the last eighteen months of the pandemic. Yeah. Mm. At the beginning of the pandemic, um, we none of us had any idea what was happening next. And it turned as it turned out, I my company was well structured. It was already working um, off prem. You know everything was cloud, and our clients were delivering cloud solutions <laughs> to their customers. Mm. So there was a race for organizations to move from on-prem to off-prem, get cloud in, and my marketing services fitted well with our clients. Uh, and we were able to pivot quite easily out of an office and work remotely. And then as time went on, we began to hire and grow uh, and realizing that we didn't need to do any of that within the UK. So the hires come from all over the world now. Mm. And um, now I'm in this position that I'm trying to imagine how um, life will be 
in this next phase, not after the pandemic, because someone could say, well, it will go back to how it was before. It will revert to type. Yeah. I heard Citibank on the radio the other day um, talking about how everyone will go back to their, all their staff will go back to the office. That's how it's going to be. It's not so much that bit I'm interested in right now. I'm trying to think of the transition we make between where we are now, which is a still in a a, a pandemic state. Yeah. Mm. Um, uh, We certainly feel like, you know, with the vaccines, everything is moving forward. But there is this gap between where we are now and where we will be next. And I was thinking about this this morning, and I likened it to, you know, when, when you're driving through the country, sometimes you get this nice downhill, long, slopey downhill, and you can take the car out of gear um, and just, it will just get momentum, will do its thing. That's where I feel like we are now. Mm. We're all kind of cruising with our, mm. either our foot on the clutch or it's in neutral and we're just going. It's okay, but you can only go, you know, you're not really in control. Anything other than the steering, yeah, and touching mm. the brake occasionally. But up ahead now, we're beginning to see that there is this curve, there is this bend in the road that we're going to have to go through. Yeah. And that curve, we cannot see what is around the corner. And we've got to think about this one of two ways. For some people, they're going to want to stop before that bend, get out of their car, walk around the bend and see what's there, looking at it and taking their time and considering. And that's why some people will work. And I was interested how I'm going to operate when I get towards this um, hypothetical or um, this bend in the road. What am I going to do? How am I going to behave? What's going to be my mindset as we go into that? And um, I used to play uh, a lot of console games when I was a kid, like everyone. And my one of my favourites at the time was Colin McRae Rally. Yeah, the Colin McRae <laughs> Rally. I loved that. Uh, I loved that. And um, didn't I was remembering? That, I remember. Wasn't that yeah, the one on. where you had the the, the whole seat set up in the on the York Way Road flat? Yeah, yeah. Is that's that, right. was that the, the one? Steering wheel on a, on a <laughs> you know drilled into the floor. <laughs> Yeah, so I had the whole, you know, Colin McRae was my thing. And I, and so I'm walking along the streets today and I'm thinking about this, this this change is coming. And how I position myself and how I think about it is going to be the difference between what my business does next, how it behaves, how my crew behave, you know, how we uh, operate. And I remember, and I was thinking about Colin McRae. And Colin McRae used to say, if in doubt, flat out. <laughs> And I thought, you know what, that's it. I'm not going to pull up the handbrake and stop and go and look around the corner and ponder on it. I'm going into this next phase blindly with everybody else with my foot pressed as hard down on the accelerator as it will go. Mm. And I feel comfortable that should run that corner disaster strike, I can hit the brakes hard enough and control the skid. Right. So why wouldn't I do anything else? And so that's you asked me what's on my mind, what's happening right now. That's what I'm thinking about. Mm. So I'm preparing myself to shove my foot in the throttle, which has been a long time coming. Right. We're like coiled springs. Yeah. And I'm going to hit because I believe there's a lot of opportunities around the corner. Uh, You know, right now, the press are talking a bad light, a bad game. Yeah. There's a lot of negativity. Mm. 
There's a lot of problems. There's a lot of new waves coming. There's a lot of the world that hasn't been um, vaccinated. And all of this is true. There are these terrible things going on at the moment. But that's all we're hearing. We're not hearing the other side of what these huge opportunities that are waiting right now to grow. You are talking about um, a complete readdress of how people work, the way they work, the tools they use to work, the platforms they use to work on. Business transformation in a, in, in a wholesale scale going on globally. We're looking at biotech and the breakthroughs that are being made there with um, mRNA. All these breakthroughs are going to be huge. We're looking at opportunities and possibilities like we've never seen before. But when we listen to the press, it's going to, we're going to feel like when we come to that bend in the road, that inevitable change that's coming, we should be breaking, stopping, checking, thinking, worrying, being concerned, letting fears help us make our decisions. And, and I'm going to go Colin McRae on it, right? Because I believed around that bend, are opportunities, opportunities. And it, again, uh, shout me down by all means. I'm fine with that. I'm an optimist. Um, I have a feeling that in the next two years, we're going to see growth and opportunities like we've not seen in the last 20 years. And mm. think of what we've seen there. Mm. There's almost this feeling that the stock market's done, it's peaked, it's hit its point. Yeah? Because we've had this year's, year of growth. Right. The years of growth. <laughs> I got this feeling that the the the, the dial's got a lot more given it than we're giving it credit for. There's a lot more ceiling in the opportunity than we're giving it credit for because we're allowing these negative stories to to give us this false sense mm. that the ceiling's been hit. It's all been done. Hmm. I think um, we kind of feel something similar as well. I mean, we, there's a lot of talk with us at the moment about how we see the future of yoke and, and like um, what we should be doing next. And we have questions, you know, we need more space. We're, we're filling up rapidly. I mean, we're going to be full pretty soon. Um, so we have the same thing, you know, we're maybe not on the same scale, but we're definitely talking about how we, how we take yoke forward. And, and maybe there's other layers of things that we should be thinking about in terms of, more scalable things um we 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 are we, we're kind of having this first-hand you know view of how people are deal are, are working around the, the pandemic and some people just can't bear to be at home and they're, and they're here some some yeah. people are basically paying you know paying out of their own pocket to come and work in in yoke because their employer has closed the office and they're not going to give them budget for home office or 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 some co-working so so interesting times and, and it is going to be hugely interesting you look at the you know there's so many scenarios you could run from right companies want to reduce their size of their footprint okay so they want to reduce the number of offices they have and the implication of that is huge amounts of cash going back into the business and at the same time they need to give their staff some kind of working environment there's all this work from home but we know for a lot of people they can't work from home for so many reasons and even if they can they do need to get away every now and then and be around other people and so you know those companies could end up 
um, they're never going to rebuy that property again. That's the first thing, right? Mm. It's like, you know, you always hear of companies having headcount, headcount, headcount. What do they do when they got a headcount? They bring in freelancers. They bring in contractors. Yeah? So the natural progression is, is that if they reduce their, their, the size of their portfolio, their commercial portfolio, the next thing that can happen for them is they reach out to companies like yours and say, hey, can you fill that void for us? And, yeah, the same way as you had laundrettes on the corner of every street to wash clothes, you have places for people to work. So, so okay, as someone who is uh, now employing people all around the world, uh, how are you dealing with, like, you know, the kind of culture which is, is around the people that you employ? Yeah, that's a, a good question and one I honestly cannot answer. Mm. Um, I used to be of the belief that you could, set the culture but i kind of starting to realize that it's really just down to the people they you can you can create a culture for your business and attract those kind of people but is that is that right i would rather just employ people who could do the best for my clients and the culture will come from that and so we you know I, me being someone who likes to boil things down to the simplicity the simplicity is add more value than the money you charge. That's it. Work with us in this company, but add more value than the money you charge. When you invoice our client at the end of the month, have you added more money than the add more value than the money you've charged? If you haven't, we've got a problem. And the culture will come from the people, not from the top down. I'm not going to set a culture agenda and say we are like this or we are like that mm. it'll come from the people mm. but it does it's a lot more difficult i don't know the reason i don't have an answer for it is because when you put everyone together in a room you get a behavior mm. change you know people mirror each other mm. yeah when people are spread out it takes a little bit more effort to you know you have to bring everyone together and to break that ice um but it is what it is and that, that's the world we live in, and the culture is going to come from the people, the work, they keep work ethic is simple, add more value than the money you charge. So uh, you, you don't have any office at all at the moment? You're... We do have an office that we go to once a week. Mm -hmm. And it's I, – I, I looked at HoloLens. And if you ever used the Microsoft HoloLens, I, I was lucky I enough to – Yeah, so I, I was lucky enough to, to, to have a go at the HoloLens – a few years back when it first came out and I, I had a go and I thought, this is the future of work for me. <laughs> yeah. I could be anywhere, but I could really quite connect with projects and people. Mm. Uh, and that's what it's all about, right? If you want to connect, not just with another person, but with the project as well. Um, and yeah, so I think that is a small piece of the puzzle is connecting people and the projects together. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of different strands coming together in this new workplace. There isn't one. You know, there's not. You are not going to take out the old and just replace mm. it. It's going to all change mm. the way processes work, the way people work, the way we use technology. There, there's some components of it, of it but there is so much more than than that. Um, and it's all. 
I don't know what the answer is. I haven't thought that all the way through and talked to enough people like yourself to figure out, to help figure out what that could look like. But it's, you know, there's a, there's, there's, there's other layers of change. For example, yeah, traditionally, um, people would go to work. I am going to work, right? And many years ago, um, a, a, a freelancer worked for me and he came to work and he worked for X number of days. And at the X number, of, at the end of that, the project hadn't been done at all, really. <laughs> to tell the truth. And I said, you've done it. And his argument was, well, I came here. I came to mm. work. I came to work. I get paid to come to work. That used to be the mindset. Now, obviously, we can't move into this new phase with that same mindset. And this is, we're hearing more and more people saying, I'm working harder now than I did before. Mm-hmm. Because now we're actually seeing that we have to have an output. Going to work isn't the billable factor. Mm. It starts moving to output. Mm. And we're having to do something to deliver for it. So I think all these elements, all these strands will come together to help create the new working environment. The way we work is going to be more, uh, you know, play a bigger part in it than the tools we have. But I'm curious because I understand you, uh, you guys don't have an office. But uh, in your opinion, what is the future of an office for for companies that continue to maintain one on on some level? So for the larger companies, they're a beacon. I see them as beacons, yeah? Mm. So you take a company like you, that, that everyone's heard of, say, Google. They'll have an office and they'll be a beacon that everyone will gravitate towards. And I used Google as an example because, of course, they were famous at one point for having a playful office with mm. slides and free lunches and all that good stuff. And that's what the office, that's what the future of office is, your brand. It's an articulation of your brand. We are this. We are playful. We are serious. We're a bank. You know, look at look at how buildings have been used. If you go back in history, banks used to coat their walls with marble. Why? Because it said we are strong. We are secure. Your money is safe with us. If we can afford all this glamorous marble all over the walls, we can afford to give you a lousy 200 quid back. Yeah? That's kind of, it was a trust, a secure thing. Mm. And I think we'll, we'll go back to that. You know, buildings will be, about articulating the essence of the brand mm. to bring it bring it to life. Mm. But places where work are done, where, where things are achieved, where problems are solved, where challenges are overcome, uh, and there is still a lot to be said for getting people together to create IP, right, which is what you're doing. You're bringing these people together. But for some organisations like my own, that's not so easy to do now. So that's, that's what we're looking at. All of the technology that's out there is HoloLens, a potential um, answer to that problem can it can that technology help connect people with processes and projects together because mm. mm-hmm. <clears throat> technology that's that's similar to hololens is being used in manufacturing or at least it's it's, it's they're experimenting with it uh i i think even in education some some people are are, are trying to implement it um but 
I still think that there's just a lot of value for for meeting somebody face to face and and sharing mm-hmm. a room with them. Of course. And uh, earlier we sort of talked about um, uh, the quiet moments, you know, the, the ones in between speech, the ones between sentences, and and I think those are very valuable as well. And I don't know how well those translate um, virtually, but. But, but maybe I just haven't seen the right tools to... Well, they don't. You know, you put two people in the room and those two minds create more than the sum of the parts. Mm-hmm. We haven't yet had enough runway to make that idea take off virtually. We've only really been doing this. You go back three years uh, and we weren't zooming each other all the time and teamsing each other all the time that just wasn't how it was done right we go and we talk to each other i think we will overcome that but there is still a lot to be said for getting two people or more in a room to solve a problem and that's not about to go away anytime soon will there be a technology bridge well so far we've got visuals and sound that's pretty good Mm. but can there be more yes Will that answer it? Well, we don't really know yet. Um, Will we still get people in rooms? Yeah, I'm sure we will. And maybe some will dial in virtually and the others will be in the room. But when I really want to answer business questions, I don't call my business partner. I go and see him, right? And we sit down and have a coffee. Um, I'm curious about your your idea of of spaces. Lately, or in the past two years, I've been hearing a lot about, you know, someone's first space, second space, third space. And uh, I, I, I was listening to a webinar where somebody was saying that most people's first space is their home. Uh, but their second space is, is not the office, but it's, uh, it's the Internet. And uh, I, I'm curious how you feel about all that. So... The everybody is going to have their their place where they achieve, and that would depend on what they're trying to achieve. And the first place is probably going to be the home because that is the one that we've made the biggest investment in in our lives, and there ever will. Yeah, so the home will always rule. But I see for a lot of people, the second space, second place is the car. They can do, you can get, you can bang a lot of work out on a car journey. You can get a lot done, right? Because you can have calls back to back. You can do a lot of thinking. So you can just turn everything off and think something through because it's a second action. And now, of course, the motor car is fundamentally changing. Um, For motorway journeys, it can do its own lane control, modern cars. We're moving to, you know, a world where, I don't see driverless cars going around the city for the simple reason that every pedestrian will just walk out in front of it when it wants to cross the road. So that's probably not going to work. But certainly for the longer journeys, driverless cars are going to work. So we've got that space where we'll be able to be doing a lot more. David, Uh, with this line of thinking, can we substitute a a commute instead of a car? Or, or, yeah. or not necessarily, because because I think it's it's sort of um, depending on what environment someone's living in that that depends on how uh, important a car is. Yeah, well, the, you're right, and the reason I mentioned cars because car used to take you just have to do it 
do all the doing. Mm. Whereas on a train journey, you could already do a lot of work mm. on a plane journey, a lot mm. of commutes. You could achieve quite a lot. Um, and it is back to that, why are we commuting there? What's the reason? But these, these spaces, you know, I go back to how I used to work before the pandemic. And I worked a lot from coffee shops. And I didn't randomly walk into a coffee shop. I had my coffee shops for moves and mm-hmm. for what I was trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. So long copy, Pinkman's around the corner was really good because it was fairly big and I could tuck myself away in a corner and I could look up and see lots of activity for a long distance. I could zone out and zone back into my writing. For short form work I needed to do, quick things done, a Starbucks is great. And you get the sense they want you out pretty quickly. Mm. They don't want you in there for the long. So we already, I was already compartmentalizing all these different places to work. And um, maybe we'll just all naturally start doing that and we'll say you know the office i talked about it being this beacon for the brand but inside it will be subdivided into the way people add value to the business so you're going to have huddle spots you're going to have fitness er of fitness sorry wellness areas you know that people's mental health is so important for their delivery of value Mm-hmm. yeah so we're going to see wellness areas and and i you know that that area will be divided up into multiple zones but ideally we'll be able to listen to our own personal needs and go and answer on those in the space that's going to enable us to achieve that and for each person and each project and each need it will be slightly different yeah no, I, I definitely agree that these flexible spaces, which which offer um, a, a variety of options to 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 the users, uh, are, are definitely the, the future. And we're going to move away from the traditional desk, which which yeah. I believe still has its place. But um, yeah, I've I've heard somebody say complex works or complex work um, requires more complex or more flexible workspaces or environments and yeah yeah because we know you know complex work isn't solving the same problem over and over and over again right and a a change is as good as a rest you sometimes need to just compartmentalize in your own head what it is you're trying to do and select a place to achieve that and that could be walking through a park yeah my my thinking isn't done at a desk. My thinking is done, usually um, I'll go for a walk or, uh, you know, there's many, many different ways. We all, we all have our own ways of thinking something through. And so we need to start not thinking of it as our planet, as our place, as our canvas where we achieve and not, we move away from that. When I walk into the office, I start getting paid. Right. And we've all had days in our career, right, where we've worked in an office and we've done nothing. We've, you know, it's been a, it's been something's happened the night before, and we're in there and we're hanging right from the night before, and we've kind of hidden ourselves in a filing cabinet or mm. screen or something, and just sort of. You, you did work for Kiss gone. FM, so. <laughs> <laughs> but those days are gone now. 
it's about, and this is what people are saying, well, I feel like I'm working twice as hard because now you're being monitored, you're being judged, you're being measured on your output. I'm moving into another office. I think I can hang my, there we go. I'm in my son's office now. How's that? Awesome. Nice. Yeah. So it's, uh, I've, I've no answers, only millions of questions. And we are going to look back in five years time and say, it was so obvious, mm. right? That right now being in it, being in the vortex of it all, it doesn't, feel so obvious but we can i do know we're going to have to be agile that's going to be apparent and uh we yeah we're going to have to be of, a, of an agile mindset if we want to be the winners right i'm enjoying this opportunity to sort of pick your brain about different topics uh i'm, I'm curious if if in the past few weeks or in past few days if, if anything sort of has been mm, trending but in your head, in a sense, um, ha have you had any observations or, or, or something that um, sort of like a reoccurring thought, reoccurring pattern uh, that has sort of been brought up to the surface for one reason or another or, or something that, that keeps being mm, brought up in conversations that you have with various people? For me, is this transition from a pandemic mindset to the next and i know there is a i get the feeling anyway there is a bridge between um the next and now and that's that you know we're going to go around that bend and go over that bridge that's what's been on my mind as as far as what i'm seeing trending it again it's back to that i'm really this real sense that we've had 18 months of of disastrous news bulletins mm. being pushed to us and that has an impact right you keep mm. telling the child that everything is bad you can't expect that child to ever think things are good mm. yeah and we're all listening and taking this information in we all have plastic minds that are flexible and adjusting to this and cutting new neural pathways based on this information we're taking in and and i do think that is a, a problem and um it could stifle optimism it could stifle growth yeah, but David, as I as I hear you talk about this bridge, uh, you know, I sort of visualize it in my head, and I'm thinking, I feel that we're always on a bridge. It's like one bridge yeah. to another bridge. Yeah, that, that's a fact. That, that is very true. Um, we go we as as a a world, we're better at reporting, we're better at, um, at understanding, and we seem to 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 sort of lurch from one disaster for another. You know, and every ten years something huge impacts the entire globe happens you know you only have to roll back and we had the the, the crash of 2008 and uh and the aftermath of that there's always there's, there's always something and here we are now in a pandemic and it'll be the next and the next and the next and that's why i think that agile mindset that resilience is going to be so important mm. for us as individuals now because we don't have that safety of just going i'm going into work I'm going into work, you know, and you can almost look at the kinds of people, the kinds of jobs people take, and it will tell you how, you know, how resilient, how resistant they're going to be. You can, and I, I'm being general, but, you know, a lot of people gravitate towards jobs in um, front, in banking, for example, because it's seen as quite secure. Mm. 
is quite a safe job. Um, uh, and what we're seeing now, there is disruption everywhere. The banking industry, cryptocurrency has, 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 has had an impact there. Third parties have come along and, and created their own apps that are better doing particular parts of the banking infrastructure than the bank could do it themselves. So we're seeing even in these very stable uh, environments, these very stable jobs, disruption coming along. And now it's all been disrupted, right? And this is that bend in the road when we come round it and things start straightening out. It's not, I'm not talking about a competitive advantage that the pie is only so big. There's room for everyone here. We don't have to compete with each other to get something. We just have to drive into this with our eyes wide open and there's going to be opportunities everywhere. Just as there was when um, you read about when the world came out of the Great Recession, Mm. opportunities just presented themselves everywhere. Along came all these new technologies, the new way of doing things. You know, in the 1960s, they talked about closing the patent office. It was done. Right, right. Yeah, there was nothing left to invent. We got the transistor, <laughs> got the chip, it's done. And, and of course, we're really, I think we're in this new, we're coming into this new, the trend is it's coming into this new, huge opportunities are going to present themselves and we don't have to search outside of our own industries and there they're going to be all around us exactly what you guys are doing now you know you have no idea how big an opportunity you're sitting on no one does you don't know if what you've actually got is the model for the whole new workplace and if you have are you ready have you got a mindset to capitalize on it to raise the what's required to 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 scale that, I know you guys have got the the ability, but you know, listening to the news, you'd kind of go, "Well, we could get a couple of people and keep going a little bit." But listen, looking out there and seeing what's really going on, it's like, "Wow, the richer got richer." Yeah, mm. don't forget that. That I went to a talk five years ago, and. The guy started his presentation by saying, we are moving to a world of not have and have not, but have yachts and have nots. Mm -hmm. That's how big the gap is going to be. Mm -hmm. And we see it growing, don't we? Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're seeing the trends. You talked about those trends earlier. We're seeing those trends. Automation is a trend. Artificial intelligence is, is happening right now on a huge scale. And, and automation means that some jobs will go, but equally new jobs will open when there's old ones closed. Artificial intelligence, re removing the friction on journeys, mm. making things more uh, easier to do. It's, just, it's all kind of coming together, I believe, around that corner. And, and those that call him McRae, the opportunities are there for them. Those that are flat out and heading into it, those that stop and and get pensive and, and, and concerned, well, a lot of you guys would have scooped up those opportunities because you were there. Mm. David, we've been talking a lot about business and business opportunities and, and everything that's going on. But uh, equally, if not more important, I think it's important to talk about uh, what's going on in our heads 
uh, in, in terms of maintaining balance, in, t- in terms of staying sane, uh, as well as nourishing and maintaining uh, and, and building uh, the relationships with, with those people who are close and important to us. Um, so do you have any thoughts on, on that? So on the staying sane, the first thing is, is we're, we're too harsh critics of ourselves all the time. And we've got to give some of that up to allowing these thoughts to come in, listen to them and say, that's okay. That's okay. I heard it. It's concerned. And then, well, why is it concerned if it's a negative thought? If it's just, uh, you know, if it's an unsettling thought. And they, because unsettling thoughts, um, negative thinking, right, that you, what you focus on comes towards you. That tends to be what happens. If you focus on the worst case scenario constantly moving towards you, your brain starts picking up and goes, well, that's clearly where you want to go then, right? Let me take you there subconsciously mm-hmm. all the time, work towards it. Because if you focus on what you do want, those things begin to move towards you. But, of course, you can't stop these negative thoughts coming in. But what you can do is not try and stop them, is just to recognise them, acknowledge them, give them the respect they deserve, and then you can move on from that point. And it's been and is a challenging time for so many people. And, um, and we have to respect that, that friends and family and strangers, we don't know exactly what they're going through and have been through. And so we have to just be a little bit more flexible, I believe, with, particularly with strangers, particularly with people we don't know, particularly when we're out in the street and we're driving and someone cuts in front. We don't know what their story is. We don't want pain and or why they're rushing or what's going on in their world. Just come a little bit of slack mm. because, it, you know, a lot of people are still suffering in a huge way and it's a massive impact on their mental health. And if we can do one small thing, even as a stranger, to help them, then we should do that. Should pick up our opportunity to do something. And it nourishes up as well, us as well. Nourishes is the person doing it because it takes us out of our comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And every time we come out of our comfort zone, that's good for us. It right. pushes us. We realize actually it's safe to take a little bit of risk. Mm-hmm. So that's um, my thoughts on it. And I have a lot of crazy thoughts <laughs> that go through my head. And, and I don't try and stop any of it. I let it happen. It's okay. Yeah. How yeah, about... Because there's little nuggets in there. Right, right. And how about our relationships with, with those around us, those who, who really matter? Well, our relationships with those that really matter, they're the most important relationships for us. If Are you talking about loved ones? You're talking about partners. Um, not only, I think this could also uh, extend to to close friendships, maybe even um, uh, business partners and, and things like that. I mean, you know, but b- but people who are sort of pivotal in your life, at, at least uh, in a given moment. So, focus on their good points. Mm. Yeah, and take time each day to give thanks Mm -hmm. to what they've brought to your life. It may 
sound like I'm reading from some self-help book. This is my experience of making many mistakes Mm. in my life is I now take the time to look at what's good in a person and focus on that. Mm. It doesn't mean I let people walk over me. It doesn't mean I, I, I will accept second best, but I try and bring out what's best in everybody. And, and that man of, and I do that in, in many ways, listening, mm. making sure I'm actively listening, that they know I've listened and giving thanks to people personally when they've done small things that are good. Mm. I'll give them a quick call and thank them for it mm-hmm. um, to acknowledge it. Yeah, yeah. Makes sense. And give those, give, you know, and take some time and just give thanks to all the, all the things that have come your way, all the people that have enabled the world we're in now. We spend too much time thinking about what we want and not enough time sometimes just considering what we've got and where we've come from, what we've achieved, mm-hmm. and all those people who have helped that journey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And not all of them have been good. Some of them have been, you know, when I thank people that have done some terrible things to me mm-hmm. in the past because if they hadn't slammed that door on me, it wouldn't have opened the new one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think some of those people, not all of those people. <laughs> I don't think of them every day. <laughs> <Bastards>. <laughs> uh, ah, it, it, it's so good listening to you. I mean, this is our first conversation, uh, but I, I kind of feel like you, you, you're a soul that's sort of um, mm, I don't know, like 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 somebody who I've I've needed to talk to, and and then somebody who. Uh, from my perspective, is on a similar wavelength, and uh, it, it it's been a pleasure to to hear you talk and to hear you share your ideas on on a variety of topics that we covered today, and um, I'm really looking forward to hopefully having another conversation in the future uh, on the podcast or 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 off, and hopefully one day in person. Um, Absolutely, yeah. I see um, a lot of good in that. It's an absolute pleasure. And thank you for inviting me onto your podcast. I really appreciate that. We, we're definitely going to um, do this again. And we're going to cover that sticky, difficult topic of dishwashers. 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 Yeah. I think people should start thinking more about dishwashers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's probably better than the other nonsense that we, we often think about. So. Yeah. Well, on that bombshell. (laughs) Michal, thank you so much, Max. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for talking to us, Dave. Thank you. This has been Yolk's Accidental Podcast. Our incredibly special guest has been David Slully. Yolk's Accidental Podcast. Did I pronounce that right? Yeah. <laughs> good, good. Uh, no, I, I think I'm, I'm still sort of in this, uh, on this sort of, in this cloudy kind of space where, where everything, well, 
hopefully most of what you talked about today is just still sort of bouncing around in my head and just sort of i i kind of picture it like this uh, the stream or river after after a rainstorm and 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 there's just the water's not clear because you know every the the stream is moving quickly and and a lot of silt or, or all that stuff is up in the air but um hopefully over time uh, it, it will settle down and uh, fall into place.